Hey, my name is Jeremy. Welcome here. If you're just joining us, our church is going through the book of Revelation. We're looking at different churches that Jesus addressed in the New Testament. So children are exiting. Uh, they're going to the right. So please don't start my sermon clock yet. <laughs> Give me just a second. All right. We'll let everybody get where they need to go. Then the timer can start ticking. All right. I want every minute for this one, baby. All right. Going to need it. Following is going to be an excerpt I'm reading from an article in World Magazine that was posted on December 6th in 2013. It says this, Gunned down during his morning jog near the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya. Devoted teacher, family man, a native in Michigan, a master's in chemistry, Christian Ronnie Smith had been teaching chemistry at the International School of Benghazi for 18 months. He and his wife, his wife Anita and their young son Hosea had returned to the United States several weeks prior for Christmas break, but Mr. Smith stayed behind to help his students through midterm exams and had planned to join his family in a few days. No one immediately claimed responsibility for Smith's murder, but Islamist militants had called for the kidnapping of U.S. citizens in Libya. His death on December 5th, 2013, came a little over a year after September 11th, 2012, the attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, which many of you know as the story 13 Hours, which killed four Americans, including Ambassador Chris Stevens. Having served on the Austin Stone Community Church staff before moving to Libya, a statement from the church's website said, Ronnie's greatest desire was for peace and prosperity in Libya and for the people of Libya to have the joy of knowing God through Christ. Smith listed Minnesota pastor John Piper as his hero because Piper introduced him to the writings of Jonathan Edwards and taught him the meaning and the joy of the supremacy of Christ in all things. Mr. Smith said if he could spend an evening with anyone over the last 1,000 years, he would choose Jonathan Edwards because Edwards understood that God gave us minds for the sole purpose of glorifying him. Back in Benghazi, Smith's students described him as a teacher who inspired and cared about them. They said things like this, after everything that had happened in Libya, we were losing hope and he was the only one who was supporting us and motivating us. He chose to come here and help us and risk his life. Smith's own words were then reposted to the church's profile as a reminder of his desire that we strive for and treasure Christ above all things. Smith says, I don't want the church to be about people, programs, or numbers, but rather a body that reaches out to the hurting and that speaks the truth of the gospel uncompromisingly into people's lives. Ronnie Smith was 33. Today we travel to a place far different from Midland, more like Benghazi, Libya, or northern Iraq, or perhaps Pakistan or Afghanistan. Smyrna, or biblical Smyrna, modern-day Izmir, Turkey, is a place you would only go if you treasure Christ above all things. 
If you did, you would see something like this. You would see a sprawling urban mess of about 2.5 million people. In the middle of it, you'll find ancient treasures like the Smyrna Agora. You can see that little green space right in the middle. That's 2,000 years old. This is a place where pagan deities ruled and ones like Athena were worshipped regularly. Here's a picture of her temple. In her temple. There were streets where children walked to school, much like children do today. And there were ancient fortifications where battles were fought even before the Roman Empire. But during this time period that we're looking at in the book of Revelation, the emperor Domitian on this coin was in power. And basically he demanded, yea, required absolute obedience and allegiance. Here's a map of the place we're talking about right now. You can see Ephesus below it. Ephesus was a, was a church we addressed a couple weeks ago. It's in a port And so too is Smyrna further along on the route. It's also in a port. But the difference is in the port in Ephesus, you can see there's more water. And what that does is it brings in more sediment. And the silt eventually fills up the harbor and the city of Ephesus goes kaput. However, Smyrna is protected. It's more inland. And as a result, its harbor has stayed in use and in function even until today. How ironic would it be then to visit it? I've seen um, many tours offered of both the churches of Asia and also the Holy Land. Sometimes the churches of Asia, you'll go on a cruise, you'll get on this luxurious boat, and you go sit outside the country of Turkey and drink wine and eat fine food and look at the churches where Christians were persecuted thousands of years ago. What a contrast. Today, where we're going is no picnic. It is a church under intense pressure. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The way I'd like to approach today's text is this. We'll do it in three movements. Revelation chapter 2, 8 through 11, we will look at the what, the why, and the how. What, why, and how. The what that we'd like to begin with is found in verse 10 of chapter 2, and it says this. What is, the, what is the devil about to do? The devil is at work, but the Spirit is going to warn the people. Watch out, for the devil is about to, what? He's about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, 
and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, as I pointed out earlier, this city, this place, this Ephesus, or sorry, this Smyrna is under intense pressure. Here's an example of something they would face. This is the altar of Domitian. Domitian is the emperor at the time, and he has effectively said, anyone who does not worship me will be killed. The emperor cult has now become the official religion of the Roman Empire. As a result, everyone is required by law on penalty of death to offer libations to Caesar. Hail him as Lord or be fed to the lions. The city itself didn't really struggle with that because for hundreds of years, Smyrna had been loyal to Rome. You saw some of those fortifications earlier. Those were actually pre-Roman Empire. And what happened was is it was a border sort of area between the east and the west. And so when various empires rised and fell, then that area would be quickly disputed. So when people are fighting with them, it's like a border town in the middle of the Civil War. They're saying, hey, are you going to go north, south? Are you going to go with the Empire of Rome? Or are you going to go with this other group? This people intentionally chose to go with the empire hundreds, actually 195 BC, hundreds of years before the Roman Empire ever even became a significant force in the region. So they are loyalists through and through. They pledge allegiance to the empire. They are hardcore Roman citizens. Combine that then with the following. and they, There was also a large Jewish population. Here's a picture of one of the oldest synagogues still in use today. This is the Shalom Synagogue in Smyrna. And what you have is basically a recipe for disaster because the Jews are jealous of the new Christian sect. You see, the Jews have had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and the prophets, and the law forever, and they claim it as theirs. But now there's this crazy guy named Jesus who comes along and, of all things, gets crucified And his followers are saying that he's the fulfillment of this whole Messiah thing. And the Jews are like, no, 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 we are not going to worship some guy who got crucified. We are the true Israel. Don't listen to these crazy cultists. They're doing silly stuff like having the Eucharist or they're consuming like cannibals, blood and wine. And they're also immoral because they greet each other with holy kisses. And guess what? They don't even offer the yearly sacrifice to Domitian. And so, like all jealous people do, they go to someone who can uh, get the person they're jealous of in trouble, and they begin to speak poorly of them. Kids, you've probably seen this. If someone else is um, seeking to cut you down, what they will do is perhaps not criticize you to your face, but instead they'll go to someone else and talk about you or around you as a way of decreasing your stature so regardless of where they're at, all of a sudden they feel higher than you. So too, the Jews in this place, they are criticizing the Christians because they're people moving from Judaism into Christianity and they're jealous of that. And so they've got to stop this thing and cut it down. So they go to the emperor, they go to the officials, they go and say, hey, look, these Christians, they don't offer sacrifices. They're doing this, they're doing that. And all of a sudden, a lot of Christians are ending up in jail on penalty of death. It's not surprising then that the word martyr, which means witness, eventually came to mean someone who died for their faith because that's what was happening here. Anyone who professed Jesus publicly ends up being thrown in jail and perhaps to their 
to their death. So that's what, what was happening there in Smyrna. But what is happening here in Midland? Obviously, we're under a very different system. And yet, even though we're on a different system, the forces of darkness have not stopped. Yes, it is true. We have freedom to worship, which is wonderful, and we enjoy it. Yet at the same time, we know that there are active attacks. John MacArthur says it like this. He says, the supernatural battle in Smyrna was just one skirmish in the age-long war of Satan against God. The knowledge that his efforts to destroy saving faith are doomed to failure does not deter Satan one little bit from trying. He's still going full bore even though he knows he's going to lose. It's always been his plan to attack God's children and attempt to destroy their faith. So what? So what is he doing in Midland? Well, I could speculate, I could guess, but rather than name specifics, I know that you can probably think in your mind the areas of opposition that the enemy is putting in your path. What are they? How does Satan oppose you? They're there. There are challenges. They may be subtle, but they are just as real. And the reality is this. They are not accidental, but entirely intentional because Ephesians tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not physical wars that we're fighting but instead these rulers these authorities these powers like Domitian like whoever are put there by the cosmic powers over this present darkness against and we're wrestling then against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places our fight is real our fight is different but it's here The devil is out to get you. He does not want you to win and he does not care that Jesus already did. He still wants to destroy you. But even though this is what the devil is doing, the devil's attempts will fail. They are certain to fail, even against you. Not just against Jesus, but even against you. Why? Well, Revelation 2.11, this text tells us specifically why the devil's attempts will fail. Why? Because the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Listen, church, this is the reason, one of the reasons besides Jesus, that you win. Because you, if you are believing in Jesus, won't be hurt by the second death. What does that mean, Jeremy? Well, Revelation chapter 20, the end of the book, tells us exactly what he's talking about here. He says, Then death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. This... Is the second death. So what is the second death? The lake of fire. Hell. Hell is the second death. So the one who conquers will not be hurt by hell. In other words, what I'm saying to you is this. Hell on earth is way better than hell forever. Hell on earth is way better than hell forever. See, the devil fails because there's only certain things he can do. Take, for example, the classic case of Job. When the devil goes after Job, God gives the devil permission to attack him. Now, that's an entirely different sermon we're not talking about today. But God gives the devil permission to attack. God allows certain things to happen. So the devil goes after Job, and he does so progressively in phases, in sort of in order of intensity. You know, he takes... 
financial things, then he takes family things, and then he takes his health, and eventually Job is basically brought to nothing. And he's being slandered by his wife, he's being slandered by his friends. This man has lost it all. So for all intents and purposes, he should, from our perspective, take his wife's advice and curse God and die. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, even though he slays me, yet I will bless him. This is Job's triumph over evil. And it's this moment that you really realize Revelation chapter 2. Because what Job is is essentially saying is, no matter what Satan does, no matter how bad it gets, he cannot win. It's simply impossible. Because what's the worst that he's going to do? Well, he can make me sick. And that's bad. That's really bad. People who are sick in this room or family who are sick, there's no dismissing the fact that that is really terrible. He can take away my family. That seems worse than death to many of us. We'd rather die than lose our loved ones. Yet he can do that. Satan can kill the people we love. He can take away my financial whatever. He can take away my health. He can take away everything. But after that, if you're still blessing God, he's got nothing left. And the only thing left he can do is kill you. And then he kills you. And then what? And then you're in paradise forever. And he's out of options. And then you get a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. And those who believe in Christ are reunited with their loved ones forever and ever. Game over. He's done. He loses. So in other words, what this text is intentionally trying to communicate is the worst, the very worst that Satan can do is not enough. It's simply not enough. Think of what he can do. What is the worst thing he can do? That's not enough. That doesn't overcome Jesus. That doesn't overcome his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. And it doesn't overcome you either. If you're in Christ, you go up with him. There's a new heaven, new earth. It doesn't end, and you're good to go forever. The devil can't win. He can do some really bad stuff. He can make your life absolutely miserable, and you feel like you're going through hell on earth, and you are. But that is better than hell forever. Because the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Instead, that second death is Revelation chapter 20. Read chapter 21 and see what comes after that. Even better. So much better. Jesus' suffering is an ascension. They prove that the worst thing that can happen is not enough. This is, yes, this is coming from me, but ultimately it's not coming from me. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. I think we have a slide of it here in a second. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8 says this. These are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. This is not some dude who is untouched by suffering. This is not some distant sort of ethereal or ephemeral or imaginary make-believe story. This is a real person who walked in our shoes and went through more than any of us could ever imagine. This very one says this, the one who experienced imprisonment, torture, and death came back to life again, and you will too. These are the words of the first and the last. So just as Jesus was victorious over death, so too shall we be. And therefore, the people in Smyrna and the people in Midland can face death knowing that faithfulness will be rewarded with eternal life. The worst, the very worst, I don't care what you think it is, the very worst 
that can happen to you is not enough. Don't take my words for it. Take hers. The rest of her letter says, To the Libyan people, I always expected that God would give us a heart to love you, but I never expected to love you so much. We came to bless you, but you have blessed us more. Thank you. Thank you for your support and love for Ronnie and our son Jose and me. Since Ronnie's death, my love for you has increased in ways that I never could have imagined. I feel closer to you now than ever before. I want all of you, all the people of Libya to know that I am praying for peace and prosperity. May Ronnie's blood shed on Libyan soil encourage peace and reconciliation between the Libyan people and God. Blood shed on a hill makes for reconciliation between people and God. You can't beat that. You can't even kill it. Because when you do, it comes back to life again. The blood flows and waters the earth. And the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. Tertullian. What the devil is about to do, he'll attack. But his attempts will fail. Because the worst he can do isn't enough. God's people know that they will prevail because he prevailed. He is a sovereign God who holds sway over all things. And so when he begins this address to these people who are about to go through this very thing, he pulls out from the earlier vision the two characteristics that are going to be most important to them. He says, hey, look, I was the first and the last. Revelation 2.8, don't think you're the first to go through suffering. You weren't. Here's a slide. Jesus was. Revelation 2.8 says the first and the last. And then he says, not only was I the first and last, but look, church, I died and came to life, and I know, I know what you're going through. Because he is the almighty, timeless God, nothing escapes the vision of our glorious Lord who knows every single detail, MacArthur says, about the church under his care. He goes before us. He goes behind us. He knows what's coming. He knows what's been. He sees every single angle. We get in a difficult spot and we think, no one sees this like I do. I'm the only one experiencing this. No one else sees. God sees even things you don't about your situation. He knows. And so somehow in this strange, upside down, kingdom backwards world, we conquer then not being afraid of the second death, and not even by might, but instead we conquer by loving our enemies, returning good for evil, turning the other cheek, and blessing those who curse us. We conquer by going to the ends of the earth to make mature and multiply disciples of all nations. How do we win? Well, we flood the world with Ronnie's replacements. Go, therefore, church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded you. And behold, he's going to be with you even in the dungeon, even in Benghazi, even in Afghanistan, even in Midland, Michigan, regardless of what you're facing today. 
Those troubles that walked in the door with you have no chance. What's the best they can do? Kill you? That's it. And then you win. Everyone's going to tell you not to, even if it's Caesar or Domitian or the emperor himself, but really they're not in charge. That's why he starts his great commission like this. Who's in charge? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. I'm not in charge. You're not in charge. Satan can't trick us. We know better. The worst he can do isn't enough to win. Jesus wins. All authority is his. The first and last, beginning to end, the one who died and came to life. John Piper responds. It's interesting. I've never had this happen to me. I think I'm glad, but I'm not sure. What happens to Piper is he preaches a sermon and someone goes somewhere and then dies on account of the sermon that Piper preached. And Piper has to live with that. And yet he responds on December 7th, 2013. And this is an article from Desiring God and uh, Piper's response to Ronnie's death. Because Ronnie specifically mentioned Piper as one of his driving forces to go. Piper writes, one of the reasons I wanted to respond is um, because one of my messages significantly influenced him in going to Libya. Now his wife Anita is a widow and his son Hosea has lost his father. Thinking back, I was starting my ministry at the age Ronnie's ended and Jesus's. Then he prays and he says, Lord, give Anita great faith. Help her to weep, but not as those who have no hope. Make that little fellow proud of his dad. May he grow up thrilled to be in the bloodline of such a man. May they live with the rock-solid assurance that though we are being killed in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Then he goes on, he says, if I thought death were the worst thing that can happen to a person, I would be overwhelmed with regret. But the whole point of Ronnie's life is to show us that there is something far worse than death. That's Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Piper goes on to say, we're not playing games. It's not a joke. When I preach that risk is right, I know what I'm doing. I call on thousands of you to take Ronnie's place. We do not seek death, but we seek everlasting joy, including that of our enemies. If they kill us, we'll love them, and we're in good company. He who called us to to love for the sake of his name goes with us even to the ends of the earth among all peoples. What? Satan is going to try to kill you. And it may not be through the old means he used, but it'll be through something. He will try to drive you into the ground. But why is that not going to prevail? Well, because we've already seen it. Jesus died and came to life again. And the worst he can do is not enough. Therefore, Go and make disciples. This is how God's people prevail. Do that. How? Well, let me give you three, actually four specific ways today in this moment. The first of all is pray. 
I'm going to say pray, give, go, but then I'm going to give some specifics on that. Pray, give, and go. So when I say pray, I mean pray, like pray for our missionaries. And so right now, I'm going to stop this sermon for 15 seconds, and I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and pray for our missionaries. Ready? Go. Father, we bless you and praise you and we thank you that we have missionaries that we get to send, that people hear your call and go. Sometimes we don't know them as well as we should and Lord, we just ask that you would help us to support them in the ways that we can and even ways we feel like we can't. Give us strength, God. Give us wisdom and bless those whom you have called. In Jesus' name, amen. So pray, that wasn't so hard. We just did like 15 seconds. I think you can do that. No, I'm sure you can, and perhaps even better. Pray, give, and go. Give, look, our church supports a lot of missionaries. We've got a board in the back. I'll show you a picture of it here in a minute. It's got their faces next to where they're at. Some of them have shortened names because they have to be discreet about their locations. But we are intentional about going to the ends of the earth. We want to make mature and multiply disciples of all nations. We're talking about four specific targets. Number one, we do Gulu in northern Uganda. Number two, we are after the Malay people. Number three, we're after the Tatar. And number four, sending our own. And that's you. And I know right now there's a lot of people in Midland whose careers are transitioning and you're asking, what should I do next? I'm telling you. Here's what you should do. There is a bountiful harvest out there. And there's all kinds of things that you can do. And I'm not sure what that looks like for you, but I know you have skills and I know you can use them for the kingdom. Go. Go. Go and make disciples. Pray, give, go. And hey, maybe you're not ready to transition from Midland yet, but I know this. I think you can get back to that table in the very back. Not far from here, we've got a table with all of our missionaries' names, their prayer cards, and we even have a picture of our missionary of the month. Here's a picture of that table that I'm talking about right now. It's by our connection spot. These are the Ritmas, and it's interesting. God in his sovereignty and timing picked them for this month. And it also so happens that Indonesia just experienced, like this weekend, you can look on the news, a 7.5 whatever magnitude uh, earthquake which triggered a tsunami that hit a particular island. So not their island, fortunately, but one of the other islands. And so they're asking right now for prayer. I don't know if they're going to need additional response or what that will be. But we know at this time, this missionary that we support Need your prayers and encouragement. So go back there, pick up their car, and pray for them. Anything you can do will help. If you can pray, if you can give, if you can go, go to our missions table. Wouldn't it be ironic that today in this very audience, if I'm calling you to go, someone decided that they actually wanted to go to Smyrna. Like you can go there today. You can go to this very passage and place in Revelation. It won't be called Smyrna. It'll be called Izmir. And you won't learn ancient Greek or Latin, but instead you'll learn Arabic. But the situation is still exactly the same. You talk about Jesus, you're going to get in trouble. It's dangerous, and you're going to face the fires of persecution. 
Are you ready? Are you willing? Go. What if, what if in saying this sermon, like John Piper, all of a sudden one of you was called to go? What if my son? Then I would not be the first to send my son to his death for the redemption of the people. There's something worse that can happen than death. Go. Father, we thank you for your plan and purpose for everything. You are good. Your mercies endure forever. Everything you do is right and true and just, even if my life sucks. I pray, God, that somehow in the misery and in the mundane that we won't lose sight of the mission to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. And lo, you'll be with us even to the end. In Jesus' name.